Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. I'm Oliver Condy, the magazine's editor, and with me scattered to two other corners of the southwest of England are reviews editor Michael Beek and editorial assistant Freya Parr. Hello. Hello. So this is actually the second episode we've done remotely, thanks to the wonders of Microsoft Teams and smartphones. Uh, it also marks the second issue we've remotely sent to press. So, Michael and Freya, what have been the particular challenges of of putting the magazine together without actually being in the office? Uh, well, for me, certainly, as a reviews editor, it's not having any CDs to look at or deal with or send out. So <laughs> managed to commission a whole issue with no CDs for reviews. So I'm quite pleased with that. <laughs> Superb That's effort. That's quite an achievement, actually. Yeah, that is quite an achievement. I think, I, I think we kind of assume that everything is going digital or has already gone digital in, in the classical music world. But actually, because 80% of the copies sold are physical product, I think yeah. there's a little bit of a sort of a lag behind of, of critics, of, of, of record labels, of everyone sort of dealing efficiently with uh, digital files. So this Definitely. may well be the making of it. <laughs> it really could be. Yeah, my, my life has been about transferring files and downloading files. <laughs> How's the internet connection been for that? <laughs> Ropey. <laughs> um, not too bad. But ropey occasionally, but it, it, we've done it. We've done an issue, so on with the next. <laughs> I feel like technologically it's been, it's actually been quite seamless, but I do feel as though I'm getting very much a sort of sense of screen fatigue from spending too much time, because now I think in the yeah. evenings and the mornings I'm spending all my spare time catching up with friends on more video chats and it's like actually I need to just get, get away from the screens but I think otherwise it's been quite good the only other problem is not being able to go and directly speak to people in other departments in particular so like you know production or marketing usually you can just pop upstairs and have a very quick chat whereas now everything has to be sort of typed out and considered and it's a little more sluggish but we've now done two magazines remotely and yeah I don't think there are too many errors <laughs> I mean, the no, best. Absolutely. Well, the best. I mean, the, the the biggest lesson I've learned so much is not to sort of worry about the small stuff as yeah. much, and, and actually to look at the bigger picture. Um, because if you do do the small stuff and you do really double down and make sure that everything is is dotted and crossed, you know, to the nth degree, you can drive yourself crazy in this in this new world. Mm. Um, I mean, for me, having come down on last Sunday to look after my five year old, has it added an extra? <laughs> Extra pressure because, of course, five-year-olds don't necessarily need education the whole time, but they do need attention. Yeah. So one has to sort of do a podcast and then it's back to phonics. So that's fun, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Endless swapping of hats of which thing you should be focusing on next. <laughs> indeed, yeah. indeed. So last week we sent the June issue of the magazine to press um, and it'll be out now uh, on the newsstands itself, um, an achievement um, in this new world. Uh, and it's actually the BBC Music Magazine Awards special. So we were due to hold the ceremony at King's Place in London on the 20th of April. And it's a moment when we get the sort of whole classical music record industry together to celebrate their incredible work over the past year. Um, and of course, we're going to be, we would have been awarding prizes in person to the recordings that you all voted for our readers as well as a few special awards along the way but we're still having the awards both in the magazine online on social media and hopefully you'll see a few reports pop up in the press here and there but before we talk about the awards let's head to music news news 
So as per last month, there's only one real story, which is coronavirus. But within that, there are little sort of gems to celebrate musicians who have gone really beyond the call of duty to continue bringing music to us all. And let's not forget good old Radio 3 who set up studios in their homes with duvets and dogs <laughs> and house plants and various bits and bobs. Freya, what's been sort of the highlight of online musical activities for you? Well, there's been lots. I've actually... As I mentioned, I'm getting a little bit of screen fatigue, but every time I turn on Instagram at the moment, I seem to be getting another notification of another live concert, which is really nice to sort of see flashes of from various kind of artists and orchestras. But this weekend, so actually this will be happening... This will have happened by the time this podcast comes out, but obviously Young Musician is back, BBC Young Musician. So I'm really looking forward to that, having a nice programme to watch on a Sunday afternoon. Um, so that's very exciting. And then also there'll be the Bang on, Bang on a Can marathon, which is... That's on the 3rd of May, and I'm I, I'm not sure whether that'll be available to watch afterwards, but I know that they're also opening up their archives from the last 33 years as well called Canland. But yeah, the, the marathon kind of involves, it's six hours, 26 performers, and Meredith Monk is opening it with a probably very experimental and wacky solo performance. So it's lots of going to be lots of great works by new uh, contemporary composers. So that's, I'm really looking forward to that, hopefully when I have a bit of time away from the screens for a while. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Michael, is there anything that you've seen over the past sort of few weeks that, that has really sort of captured your imagination? Yeah, definitely. There's been uh, regular Friday afternoon uh, events called uh, Art Saves Us, which has been supported by Julian Lloyd Webber. Mm. It's a whole mix of things, music, poetry, uh, art online on a Friday afternoon, and you, you pay a pound to access it uh, and the money goes to NHS charities. So it's doing good and, it, and it's entertaining and sort of, you know, soul food, which is what we need. Yeah, fantastic. I, I watched the Met Opera Gala um, last week, oh, yeah. which was, you know, very touching, very large, kind of ambitious, over 40 <laughs> singers, uh, some accompanists as well, maintaining safe social distancing. Um, and it worked really, really, really well. I mean, some internet connections were better than others, but on the whole, they were, you know, it may be a little glitchy, but it really wasn't. It really was pretty impressive, mm. you know, from Bryn Turville's Welsh home to uh, uh, to Roberto Lanya. Uh, over in um, the, the Parisian suburbs and beyond, you know, wow. it, was, it was really fun. So. It's quite nice being able to sit down and listen when you think how many other people are sitting down and watching and listening something at the same time. It's like <laughs> you can come together from all corners of the earth. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there was one. There was uh, something we've reported in the magazine, uh, which is away from sort of practicing sort of music making itself is the uh, mezzo-soprano Jennifer Johnston has come up with the idea for raising money for Help Musicians UK, which of course musicians are struggling terribly in this situation. Uh, but she's invited uh, musicians uh, to help her compile an online cookbook and it's called Notes from Musicians' Kitchens. And um, We've got things like Natalie Stutzman's Quiche Lorraine and we've got percussionist Colin Curry's Stornaway Black Pudding Risotto and we've got Stephen Huff's Ambitious Porridge with Smarties, so mm, <laughs> whole, whole culinary range. Um, and all you have to do is is, is um, subscribe for just £10. Go to notesfrommusicianskitchens.com, pay £10, and you can look at all these recipes from these uh, wonderful musicians. So it sounds, sounds really fun, actually. I'm looking forward to trying it. Really Absolutely. I'm disappointed Colin Curry isn't making a curry, though. I know, I just thought the same <laughs> thing. Curry's curry. <laughs> Missed opportunity I know, that there. Been good. Missed opportunity, yes. <laughs> Yes, he might have thought of it himself, though, at the time. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't want to be stereotyped. 
can't blame them. Excellent. That's great. Freya, you were going to talk about the NHS tickets, weren't you? Because that's really worthwhile. Yes. So obviously, uh, quite a few of these kind of online concerts are helping support musicians, but there's actually been a few initiatives to help um, to support the NHS as well. So St John Smith Square have started a pay it forward scheme. So basically, you know, you donate the cost of a ticket and then when whenever lockdown ends, whenever that may be, that ticket will go to um, someone from the NHS staff, which, which is a really good idea because it kind of also helps support St John Smith Square while they're closed and helps mm. keep it going. And also... And other NHS news, Anna Lapwood has started um, the NHS Chorus 19, which kind of is a choir that she set up with some friends from Cambridgeshire who are doctors as well. Um, And they have kind of started this choir for the NHS, which is for current and former NHS staff to sing together virtually, because I think they're all missing having their extracurricular (laughs) music as well, which I think is a great shout. And let's not forget the uh, CBSO as well, who are going to be offering 5,000 tickets uh, when we return, at whatever point we return um, to some sort of normality. They're going to be offering 5,000 tickets Mm. to frontline NHS workers, which is, again, a wonderful thing to do. Mm. Um, And as we're recording this on a Thursday, we're all going to be out at the front clapping, showing our support. Anybody going to be playing any instruments? No? I haven't yet. Kazoos? Thought about it. Trumpets? Maybe tonight's the night. (laughs) Get the harmonica. I can't play the harmonica. Drag the organ out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, we'll do something. something. Michael, over over to you. What uh, what, what, what news have you got to bring us? Uh, Well, you're right in that the future feels very unknown for artists and companies and venues. Uh, And so the ENO have got a plan uh, for early September to do what they're calling a drive-in opera experience at Alexandra Palace. So uh, they're going to uh, put on 90-minute versions of La Boheme and a family-friendly version of The Magic Flute. And the idea is that you can drive up to it, you can cycle up to it, and the artists will perform in the grounds of Alexandra Palace uh, at a safe distance from each other. Uh, So it's sort of begins a sort of communal experience beyond this sort of online experience that we're also familiar with. So it's sort of hopefully the beginning of a kind of coming together in a live situation, which we're also missing. So that's planned for early September, ENO. That's a brilliant idea. Fantastic. <laughs> that's yeah, a great idea. See how it goes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Drive-in is not really something that we've in, 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 embraced much in this country, is it? Drive, drive-in stuff. No, maybe, maybe no, this is the time. I feel like they often yeah. say that after when concerts do resume, they might have to miss out quite like have every second seat empty in order to kind of keep social distance. But actually, that will really impact the kind of the profits that can be made by the the orchestras and concert halls. Yeah. So actually, something like, something like that's really innovative. I like it. And also, you go to you do, but but, but my my problem with all of this though is one does go to a concert for a shared experience Definitely. you know sitting next to somebody and sort of feeling the vibes mm. of the people around you during a performance yeah. is something that makes it so much more special than sitting on your own listening to music which is in itself mm. is a very special experience but the live adds adds this extra frisson and and, and um it's going to be very hard to replicate that when mm. you're uh, having people sitting in every other row and every other seat or in their own cars audience members are going to get even less tolerant of coughing during uh, intervals and movements, aren't they now? (laughs) Well, if anything comes out of this, it may be that people will not be coughing during concerts anymore. The dream. I mean, (laughs) you know, people do not cough under normal circumstances all the time. And they go into a concert hall and suddenly 
people are coughing the whole time. Yeah, um, maybe they'll feel too guilty You don't now. find walking down... Exactly, and I, and, I, and I think that people will just have to sort of gird up their loins and not <laughs> cough, you know. I mean, let's not beat about go. the bush here. It can be very irritating. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're right, yeah. So shall we move on to this month's magazine then? Let's, let's talk about the June issue. So before we talk about the June issue, uh, I think we're very keen to stress we're producing the magazine as usual. Subscribers will get their magazine delivered in the normal way. But I know we know that many of you can't get to the shops to pick up your issues. So what we're doing is we're offering all non-subscribers a totally risk-free, no-strings way to get the next three issues to your door with absolutely free delivery. So all you have to do is visit www.classical-music.com slash offer and you'll be able to make a one-off payment without setting up a direct debit, and you'll save 15% on the newsstand price. So, bonus indeed. Right, the BBC Music Magazine Awards. Um, as I said earlier, we should have been at King's Place celebrating, but we are celebrating in the magazine, and we've got our awards, and what a wonderful lineup. Um I think it's time to reveal, and in fact we do reveal on the cover of the magazine, that the recording of the year has been given to the Gabrielli Consort and Players recording of Purcell's opera King Arthur. It's such a wonderful, scintillating, compelling rendition. We're going to hear one of the arias, one of the fantastic innovative arias that Purcell wrote. It's the Frost scene, uh, sung splendidly by bass baritone Ashley Riches. What part art thou from below Hast made me rise unwilly and slow From beds of everlasting slow so that was the frost scene from Purcell's King Arthur in a wonderful recording by the Gabrielli Consort and Players uh, of uh, Purcell's King Arthur. And it's won not only the Opera Award, but Recording of the Year. But uh, as we said, there's a wonderful roster of winners that are publicised in this month's magazine and online. So please go to classical-music.com slash awards. Also pick up a copy of the June issue and you can read all about them. Any highlights for you, uh, Freya, in, in the awards that you can Ooh, exclusively, exclusively reveal? Well, I think the the recording that I've had most on since I've been working from home and which my housemates have also been enjoying through the walls is uh, Edmund Finnis's The Air Turning, which is on NMC and he has won Premiere of the Year. Um, and it's just these amazing kind of soundscapes and he's very sort of intellectual about the way he views music. Um, and he's, yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's It properly takes you away. So that's been exactly what I've needed since we've been in lockdown. <laughs> Marvellous. What about you, Michael? Well, do you know what? Because being because I spoke to the director, the, the DVD of the year, which is uh, Vanessa, which was Glyndebourne's uh, production last summer, 
It's an absolutely stunning, stunning production on, on discs. Obviously, it would have been great live, but Keith Warner, who directed it, uh, actually said to me, do you know what? It works almost almost even better as a, as a film experience, just because of the nature of the work. It's quite a, a cinematic mm. opera, uh, a, like a sort of film noir, sort of Hitchcockian sort of drama, thriller. So, yeah, it comes across beautifully on, on DVD. So, yeah, I've been looking, looking at clips of that and, and enjoying that since we uh, named it as our DVD winner. Mm. Fantastic, and and on all every single winner has been interviewed exclusively for the magazine. So you can read interviews with all the winners. You can read about all the winners in the June issue. Go online, listen to clips. Most importantly, um, go out and listen to these recordings. Go and buy copies. Go and support these support wonderful the artists, artists yeah. who need us at this time more than ever. Uh, and there's also uh, an exclusive interview with the wonderful mezzo soprano Jamie Barton, who is the winner of our. Music Personality of the Year Award, uh, not only for her magnificent voice, but for championing of, of minority uh, groups on stage and also LGBT rights. And so she's just a, a, a wonderful presence in the opera world, drawing attention to, to all sorts of groups of people and also, of course, shining a light on opera with just her huge personality. She's just a wonderful, wonderful mm. singer. Cheers. Total firecracker. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I would say. But Michael, you're going to tell us about the uh, recording of the month, which is in the June issue. So away from the awards, but the recording of the month. And there's actually a link, isn't there, between the awards and, and the recording? There is. So uh, this uh, month's recording of the month is uh, from Vikinger Olofsson, the brilliant Icelandic pianist who, of course, was our winner of Recording of the Year last year at the awards. Uh, this is his follow-up to that amazing Bach disc that he did. This uh, this disc is uh, repertoire by Debussy and Rameau, and it's just the most gorgeous thing. Uh, much like Bach, it, you know, his playing is like breathing. It's the most beautiful, naturalistic performance. Uh, and with this disc, he's he's returning to the, the era of Bach, of course, but sort of from a different perspective with Ramo. And he's pairing the works with with those by Debussy. And I spoke to him and he, he talked to me about the, uh, this idea of it being piano music as theatre. So this is, this is music which is telling stories. Um, and he also said to me that he's trying to show Ramo as the futurist uh, he thinks he he was, and also trying to prove that Debussy's roots actually do lie in the French Baroque, despite him being around obviously many, many, many years later. Uh, and so, yeah, he's done it again. Uh, and this is a beautiful track. This is uh, uh, Olofsson's own uh, uh, arrangement of Rameau's The Arts and the Hours. that was uh, The Arts and the Hours performed by Viking Olofsson and that's released on Deutsche Grammophon. I absolutely love his touch. The piano is just such a velvety, beautiful touch. I remember yeah. when he came to the awards and he played the second movement of the Bach Trio Sonata Number no. 4, um, which is featured on his Bach album. Um, I, it was just something very special and I'm not quite sure how he manages to get such a different tone from the piano uh, than anybody else does. The, the, there's a the magical uh, depth of tone. It's mm. extraordinary. Mm. Yeah. And the Debussy and the Ramo go so well together, but they are the perfect combination. Yeah. It's a brilliant disc. Yeah, it's wonderful. Freya, what else have we got in the mag? 
something totally different now. Um, so this is a great piece by Claire Jackson on the relationship between classical music and fashion. Um, and there's always been kind of an intersection between those artistic forms, um, <laughs> as we are a very stylish team, naturally. Um, <laughs> no one could tell from oh, yeah. my chic lockdown uniform. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have got a very large stack of Vogue magazines to my left, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, some artists are kind of renowned for their style. You've got obviously people like Yuja Wang, who's super glamorous. She wears these amazing stilettos and kind of bodycon dresses. Um, but then you also have people like Steve Reich, who's renowned for his baseball cap. Um, don't think you've ever seen him without that. Um, and Claire kind of delves into the partnerships and collaborations that have taken place over the years with kind of sponsorship um, and things like that. And then some go totally the other way. Some artists go, kind of reject that and, you know, have James Rhodes who wears his jeans and a T-shirt and Nigel Kennedy who always wears his football strip. Um, but yeah, I think the kind of the piece came out of Sheku Mason, who's now being, I think, officially dressed by Paul Smith, fellow Nottingham lad. Um and he does look ex- exceptionally good on his new, uh, the new cover of his new album. Uh, it's a great outfit. But yeah, so Claire kind of delves back into the history of um, opera and costume design and the relationship between fashion and music kind of goes back as, I mean, as far as we can remember. But 17th century, obviously you've got Leopold Mozart dressing his family on tour. So yeah, I, it was kind of it's like my dream combination, really, as a, an avid follower <laughs> really nice of fashion. It's a nice piece, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose musicians musicians have to sort of feel comfortable in the clothes that they're performing in as well. Um, you know, there's there's a picture in the in the feature with Cameron Carpenter, the organist, mm. wearing his his jewel sort of bejeweled, uh, so uh, quite high heeled uh, shoes. But of course, you know, organists need the high heel uh, to, to to pedal more efficiently. Mm. Um, but you know, if, if if shoes are the focus of of the audience, sometimes well, why not shove a couple of gemstones on them you know <laughs> oh, absolutely definitely and the, uh, the piece talks about Anne sophie mutter as well in her uh, off the shoulder yeah. gowns and uh, i recall going to see her in concert in munich last year and because uh, it was a home crowd every single new frock she wore the crowd just went wild because <laughs> <laughs> it was obviously part of her thing so each new one had a massive like reaction from the crowd it was just brilliant <laughs> Uh, yeah, it makes a difference. I mean, you know, blokes, though, uh, you know, there's always a temptation simply to come on in something black mm. or a penguin suit or, you know, that th- there isn't a huge amount of um, imagination from the male side of things. Mm. You know, True. women feel they can wear these great big... I mean, another organist, Gillian Weir, you know, she used to come out in these great big dresses draping down the back of the bench, you know, she just sweep them <laughs> behind her, you know, whereas, whereas the, 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 the blokes shuffle on in their, you know, trousers and shirts. And, and and off you go, Bob's your uncle. Mm-hmm. And I think actually there is room for a little bit more flamboyance. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, Claire did mention, and it is true, and I kind of have subconsciously noticed this, that there are fewer um, kind of tails, like penguin suits being worn on stage, and men are choosing to wear slightly, marginally jazzy, uh, more jazzy <laughs> outfits, but they've still got a way to come. Need to get more rhinestones. They do, they do. <laughs> Look at the Marachi, go back Good. to that. Good. Yes, indeed. <laughs> exactly. 
so that was our that was our June issue. Much, much, much more in there besides. Um, so do go out and buy a copy if you can't. Please take advantage of this wonderful offer for uh, it's fifteen pounds twenty seven. I think it is for three issues delivered free to your door. Um, of course, the magazine is available on iPad. Uh, it's available on on other uh, online uh, sort of news agents if you like, like Exact Editions and that sort of thing. So go and explore. Right, it's time for first listen. So before we kick off with sharing our favourite new recordings, please tell us what you've been listening to in lockdown. Let us know what's been keeping you company, what's comforted you, what's uplifted you. Uh, Email us, music at classical-music.com. We could publish you in our Music to My Ears page. How exciting. (laughs) So, Freya... What have you brought to the table today? What are you going to introduce us to? Okay, so this is a new album uh, with music by Jose Cerebre. Um, and it's kind of a whole selection of orchestral works. And that his flute concerto is kind of the centrepiece of this disc, performed by Sharon Bazali with the Australian Chamber Orchestra under Richard Tognetti. Um, so we're going to listen to the third movement, Fantasia, from his flute concerto with tango. So that was the third movement, Fantasia, from Jose Srebrier's Flute Concerto with Tango, recorded on bis. Um, and I just think her kind of her tone is so crystal clear and full of character. She's one of my absolute favourite flautists, and her breath control is frankly quite ludicrous. And I kind of this was a great um, great discovery for me because I kind of knew of Srebrier as a conductor, but I was fairly new to his compositions and. He, it's just he's got this such colourful style with his orchestral works and the other works on this disc are equally brilliant actually it was quite hard to pick which one to play today but he also has the symphonic Bach variations uh, which is piano concerto and he's also got two tango inspired pieces for orchestra where you can really hear his kind of like Latin American influences um, so yeah I just think it's utterly brilliant you think about Jose Cerebre, such a wonderful man, but he's never really tie- wanted to tie himself down to a one single orchestra, mm. which I think is probably why we don't hear as much from him, you know, publicity wise, mm. uh, because he has tended to sort of wander around different orchestras, um, which in in a way makes him more brilliant because wherever he goes, he has to adapt and he has to fit in and. I, and I think he's also an underrated composer. I think he's, as this demonstrates, I, I, I think he's a fantastic uh, sort of magician on the manuscript paper. Mm. I think there's, a, there's a, so much colour in those pieces. Mm. And it's accessible yeah, as well, his music. It, it's, I, f- I feel like it can be enjoyed by, by all. It's, yeah, it really transports you. Yeah, it really, really does. Michael, what have you got? Uh, so I've been listening to a disc called Amour Toujours. Uh, which translates as love always, everyone. Uh, it's actually really great fun. It's by, and actually one of the reasons I love it the most is by a group called Smoking Josephine, <laughs> which is just the best name. Uh, so this is actually a string quintet, uh, and the disc uh, is a, a 
sort of gathering of, of works that have been especially arranged for these five string players. And uh, you just get a sense from, from it that this is a group of women, it's a, a, a group of five women, by the way, who, who get a kick out of performing this repertoire and, and making music together. And that joy really comes across. Uh, so one of my favourite tracks is this. Uh, this is called uh, Liebesfreud, which is from uh, Fritz Kreisler's Three Old Viennese Dances. And the disc is on Naive. So that was the brilliant uh, group Smoking Josephine playing Fritz Chrysler's Liebesfreude and the disc is available on Naive. Marvellous, marvellous. Well, my choice is maybe slightly uh, more traditional, but it's no less fun, I have to say. So uh, American-Israeli pianist Enon Barnaton has been taking us through uh, Beethoven's piano concertos uh, on pentatone. This album is is interesting in as much as there's a wonderful recording of the Emperor, number five, but that's not the star of the show. What is the star of the show is the choral fantasy for piano, orchestra and choir, which is just so thrillingly performed because it's one of those pieces that sort of falls in the shadow of the Ninth Symphony. Mm. But there's also the Beethoven Violin Concerto arranged by the composer for piano. Um, mm. and, and what's so wonderful is that he puts in these little sort of harmonic uh, modifications and you can hear the piece ever so slightly adapted, and he writes it for piano, but it's obviously after the violin concerto. So it's the textures are a little bit more delicate than they would normally be in the piano concertos. And Enon Barnaton is 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 a sort of a is a player for whom sort of less is more, if you like. He really gives it a um, a lovely sheen without going over the top. And 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 it's with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields with Alan Gilbert. So everything is just so beautifully shaped and articulated. Anyway, so we're going to hear the final movement of the Beethoven Violin Concerto arranged for piano by the composer, performed by Enon Barnerton with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields, conducted by Alan Gilbert. So that was pianist Enon Barnerton and the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields performing the final movement of Beethoven's Violin Concerto arranged for the piano. Uh, and that's on pentatone and it's out now. So that actually brings us to the end of this month's podcast. Our jingles, each one inspired by a different English choral composer, were, were written by Christopher Maxim. And our podcast is produced in Bristol by Jack Bateman and Ben Uat. So it's goodbye from me, Michael and Freya. Bye. Goodbye. And there'll be another group of the BBC Music Magazine team to chat next month about our July issue. So until then, it's goodbye from me as well. Goodbye. The BBC Music Magazine podcast.